0: I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak.
1: Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They they keep knowledge, you know, they're they're total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these these pricks at the hell that lie do us. It's...
0: I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody it's to a lie. Not a single time. Never. These allegations are false. And I need to go back to work for the American people. They're they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah, I mean it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the great deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the
1: world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to phone it in. And welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. I want to start by thanking our newest patron, Victoria Thank you so much for joining and contributing to the show. It is greatly appreciated. And now that we have a couple patrons, uh, I'm going to have something at the end of the month, if anybody's interested, to hop on a Zoom call, and we can just chat and see where it goes. So, Victoria, thank you so much, guys. Her timing is impeccable because just today we dropped not one, but two episodes, of uh, bonus episodes, that will not be on the regular feed. Um, and the reason for this, I told you, was because it was on someone else's podcast. It was a Swapcast. And they put it behind a paywall. So I agreed and told them I would put it on my patron, And that's where it is. So there's two great episodes out there, if anyone's interested, on Starforts. We went over... A couple different new angles that Dave and Brandon from Generation Z and Expanding Realities brought to the table. It was a really, really fun conversation, and we're going to have a couple more down the road, whether it's on Starforts or other things around them. They've got some great ideas, and I love working with those guys. So for as little as 3 bucks, guys, you can go get those, those episodes and more. You get every Monday Night Master Debater video on there. I'm going to start sharing some books and other materials on there. And hey, you have any recommendations of things you want to see on there? Let me know. Uh, Anything except feet pics. Not happening. Anyway, what else do we have going on in the world? Uh, It's a wild time, guys. Wild, wild time. Prices are at an all-time high. Scarcities loom out there. And I don't know even what to think at this point. It's one of those where is it better to just let it all fall apart and burn and watch it crash and burn, or is it savable? I I don't know, to be honest. I I don't know what the plan is. But what we saw with an earlier episode that I did on Yuri Bezmenov and his... Predictions, his four steps on how America was going to be overtaken, it was very clear. There has been a plan in place to not only control America, but to steer America, to possibly implode America at this point. As we know, most empires last a couple hundred years, and that's it, and then it's done, over with. So are we reaching an end? I don't know. But what I do know is how we got here. One of the major reasons we are where we are today is because of the aftermath of World War II. And if you look at it, many people will say that the Nazis did not lose the war. Germany did. The Nazis got to move on. The Nazis just changed uniforms. Changed teams. Just picked up and moved on somewhere else. Why? Because they were useful. It didn't matter the crimes they had committed. Because the people that were accepting them and bringing them in were committing the exact same crimes. They just weren't as good at it. And what you'll find is the Nazis were better at just about everything when it came to technology, science, Medicine. They were just simply better than the rest of the world at this time. How? Who knows? Did they have a a, a connection? You know, there's there's talk of the the Thule Society and Frill Society, which are you know secret societies, cults, so to speak, unknowns. But what we're going to do tonight is we are going to take a look at the infamous Operation Paperclip. And specifically, I'm going to use Annie Jacobson's book, Operation Paperclip, because it is by far the best piece of work on Operation Paperclip there is out there. And for those of you who aren't aware of what Operation Paperclip is, we'll get there in a second. But it has to do with World War II. And it has to do with the Nazis. And we're going to take a look at Germany before the war, during the war, and after the war. And how it ties in with the United States, Britain, Russia. Now, what we know for a fact is the Nazis committed despicable war crimes. (laughs) And the players that committed them, a lot of them got a free pass. Why? Because the Nazis' atomic program, their bioweapons program, and their chemical weapons program, and in addition, their rockets program, were so far ahead of everyone else that it, the United States and Russia were battling over n- n- not letting the other one get control of these assets as they saw them. They didn't see them as war criminals. They didn't see them as inhumane individuals that committed atrocities against mankind. They saw them as useful assets that could further their cause. And this is where you start to see corporatism. You see it in Nazi Germany, and you see it in America post-World War II. And we, most would say, we live in a corporatocracy today. The corporations run this company, or they work hand-in-hand with the government at the very least. And we saw that with the mandates. Now what we're also going to see in here, what we aren't really told in history, because history is written by the victors, are the American lies and deception to the public. The American crimes against their population and other populations. The American atomic bioweapons and chemical weapons situation, the research the shadiness behind all of it it's all done hidden from the public with a veil, right? that's why we're given these black mirrors, they're a screen and what's a screen? It's a block it's an impingement it's a filter so what we're seeing now some would say is the The rise and now kind of the the fall of the Fourth Reich in America. From Operation Paperclip, we'll see the rise of the three-letter agencies. The the growth of them, the CIA, the FBI. We'll see NASA take off in, in America. Space programs, science, right, vaccines, all this stuff. Comes from Nazi Germany. They were they had perfected a lot of this stuff, or come very very close, much further than their allies. So what we're going to look at here is you're gonna if you want to know one thing about Operation Paperclip, it was a world that was marked by duplicity and deception, constantly, constant deception. It, it was one giant program. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through and, and, and take a look here. So, in the aftermath of the German surrender, more than 1,600 of Hitler's technologists, they called them, because they weren't just scientists, would also become America's own. Think about that. 1,600 Nazis would become America's own. Samuel Goldsmith was a scientific director of this top-secret mission codenamed Operation Alsos that was an offshoot of the Manhattan Project, which was to build the atomic bomb. It was up to these men of science to determine just how close the Third Reich was to waging atomic, biological, and chemical warfare against the Allied troops. This was the ABC warfare by all An An untold number of lives depended on the success of this operation. Right, The, the, the lives depended on it. They had to know what weapons the Third Reich had. 1944, Goldsmith's team had captured four of Hitler's top nuclear scientists and had learned from them that Nazi's atomic bomb project had been a miserable failure. This was a huge relief. The focus now turned to the Reich's biological weapons program, rumored to be well-advanced. There, in Professor Hagen's apartment, in apparently harmless communication, lay hidden a wealth of secret information available to anyone who understood it. The papers were not stamped top secret, They were just usual gossip between colleagues, ordinary memos. The difference was, this had the plan for the Third Reich to rule for a thousand years. Now we're going to look at 1943. Of the 100 prisoners you sent me, 18 died in transport. Only 12 are in a condition suitable for my experiments. I therefore request that you send me another 100 prisoners between 20 and 40 years of age who are healthy and in physical condition comparable to soldiers. Hail Hitler. Or Heil Hitler. Professor E. Dr. E. Hagen. For Samuel Goldsmith, he couldn't believe this. Just casually tucked away in the group of Hagen's personal papers, he had just discovered one of the most diabolical secrets of the Third Reich. Nazi doctors were conducting medical experiments on humans, healthy humans. Hagen was a virus expert who specialized in creating vaccines. In order to successfully unleash a biological weapon against an enemy force, the attacking army had to have already created its own vaccine against the deadly pathogen. Right, You're not going to create a bioweapon and not have an antigen for it. This vaccine would act as a shield for its own soldiers and civilians. The biological weapon would act as the sword. This is the sword and the shield that she's going to reference over and over again. Document Goldsmith was looking at was a little more than a year old. How much vaccine progress had the Nazis made since then? In 1932, Dr. Hagen had been awarded a prestigious fellowship by guess who? The Rockefeller Foundation in New York City, where he had helped develop the world's first yellow fever vaccine. In 1937, he had been a contender for the Nobel Prize. Hagen had been one of Germany's leading men of medicine. Now here he was testing deadly vaccines on once healthy prisoners from concentration camps supplied to him by Himmler's SS. Dr. Hagen would never become a paperclip scientist. After the war, he would flee to the Soviet zone of occupation in Germany and work for the Russians. But among the names discovered in his apartment were two physicians important to Operation Paperclip, and that was Kurt Blom, the deputy surgeon for the Third Reich, and, the, and Surgeon General Walter Schreiber. Okay, these two are big players in this whole story, and we'll see them come up over and over again. And they're very controversial, obviously. Dr. Blom was in charge of the Reich's Biological Weapons Program, Schreiber, its vaccines. Again, the sword and the shield. Major General Walter Dornberger was the man in charge of the rockets program for Germany's Army's Weapons Department. Dornberger had four patents in rocket uh, development and a degree in engineering from the Institute of Technology in Berlin. It was his idea to set up mobile launch pads to fire the V2s. And it was a wise idea because the Allies had been pushing across towards Normandy, uh, across Germany, since Normandy in June. So the man at the center of the V 2 rocket program was the one and only Werner von Braun. Von Braun was at Castle Varlar to receive, alongside Dornberger, one of Hitler's highest and most coveted non combat decorations the Knight's Cross of War Service Cross. These four medals were presented by Albert Speer, Hitler's Minister of Armaments and War Production. So guys, you should be familiar with these names. Speer, one of Hitler's biggest guys. Von Braun, right? He is the rock star of NASA. That's who we're dealing with here. Okay, he received Hitler's highest award. Armaments are the aggregate of a nation's military strength, and as Minister of Weapons, Speer was in charge of the Scientific Armaments Program for the Third Reich. He joined the Nazi Party in 31 at the age of 26 and rose to power as Hitler's architect. In that role, he created the buildings that symbolized the Third Reich and represented its ideas and quickly became a favorite, joining Hitler's inner circle. In February of 42, Hitler made Speer his Minister of Armaments and war production after the former minister, Fritz Todd, died in a plane crash. The Allies were obsessed with the Nazis' V-weapons, right? The V-1 and V-2 rockets. These things were top-notch at the time. If they had been ready earlier, the course of the war would have been different, explained General Dwight D. Eisenhower. It seemed likely that if... Germany had succeeded in perfecting and using these new weapons six months earlier than he did, our invasion of Europe would have proved exceedingly difficult, perhaps impossible. Okay, so the guys, the Nazis were so close. They really were. And uh, it's very interesting. I'm I'm reading a book right now uh, by Jim Mars, which is The Rise of the Fourth Reich in America. And man... What a good book that is. And that we'll eventually get to that too. But that talks about the same thing. You know, we're... uh, How the Nazis just were so close. But a couple of bad decisions cost them severely. And they were, you know, same thing with the atomic program as we'll see. As we go through this. Okay. So, the United States was 20 years behind Germany at the time in rocket development, but Colonel uh, Gervais William uh, Trickle saw an opportunity to close the gap and save the U.S. Army millions of dollars in research and development costs. His team would just capture the rockets and everything related to them and ship it back to the U.S. It seems like a simple plan, right? I mean, just just go get them, obtain them, and send them back, and we'll, we'll reverse engineer them. Nazi science had brought back the institution of slavery all across the Reich and concentration camp prisoners were being worked to death in the service of war the workers building rockets included thousands of grotesquely malnourished prisoners inside a sprawling underground tunnel complex known by its euphemism Middlework. the middle works the underground tunnel complex uh, uh, the middle work was a place where ordinary citizens of holland Belgium, France, Italy, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Yugoslavia, Russia, Poland, and Germany had been transformed into Third Reich slaves. The first group of 107 slave laborers arrived at the Middle Work in late August of 43. They came from Buchenwald a concentration camp located 50 miles to the southeast. The wrought iron sign over Buchenwald gate read Jetem. Da Sien. Everyone gets what he deserves. Whew. The Prisoners worked 12-hour shifts, 7 days a week, putting together V weapons. By the end of the first two months, there were 8,000 men living and working in this cramped underground space. There was no fresh air in the tunnels, no ventilation system, no water, and very little light. Laborers slept inside tunnels, on wood bunk beds. There was no washing facilities, no sanitation. Latrines were half-cut barrels. The workers suffered and died from starvation, dysentery, pleurisy, pneumonia, tuberculosis, and and uh, from beatings. Some perished from ammonia burns to the lungs. Others died by being crushed from the weight of rocket parts they were forced to carry. The dead were replaceable. Humans and machine parts went into the tunnels. Rockets and corpses came out. Let's read that again. Humans and machine parts went into the tunnels. Rockets and corpses came out. So that's what this was. This was a death sentence for these prisoners. (laughs) They, they They were just a cog in the machine. They weren't even seen as human. Workers who were slow on the production lines were beaten to death. There you go. Insubordinates were garroted or hanged. After the war, war crimes investigators determined that approximately half of the 60,000 men eventually brought to Nordhausen were worked to death. That's 30,000 people right there. Worked to death for the war machine. It's disgusting. By 1939, the SS had masterminded a vast network of state-sponsored slavery across Nazi-occupied Europe through a division called the SS Business Administration Main Office. This office was overseen by Heinrich Kindler, but required partnerships. And this is where the corporations play their role. These included many companies from the private sector, including IG Farben, Volkswagen, Heinkel, St- uh, and uh, Diamler. Pay no attention to the human victims, Brig- Brigadier General Hans Kamler told his staff overseeing construction in the tunnels. The work must proceed and be finished in the shortest time possible. Again, guys, just no, no value of human life, at least for the prisoners. In the spring of 1944, V2 production had accelerated to the point where the SS provided middlework managers with their own concentration camp called Dora, which grew to 30 subcamps. the man in charge of quote-unquote personnel at the middle work it's uh, was none other than george ricky a nazi party member since 1931 with this experience ricky had become a veteran negotiator between the private industry and the ss business administration main office in the procurement of slaves that was his thing he was able to move people around So it says here, the SS began, in effect, a -a rent-a-slave service to firms and government enterprises at a typical rate of four marks a day for unskilled workers and six marks for skilled ones, according to V-Weapon historian Michael J. Newfield. On May 6, 1944, days after becoming general manager of the Middlework, Ricky called a meeting to discuss how to best acquire more prisoners for slave labor. Werner von Braun, Walter Dornberger, and Arthur Rudolph were all present. Okay, so they were there at this meeting on how to acquire more slaves, more slave labor. It was decided that the SS should enslave another 1,800 skilled French workers to fill the shoes of those who had already been worked to death. The record indicates that von Braun, Dornberger, and Rudolph showed no objection to Ricky's plan. Right, so no objection. They just stayed silent. In less than a year, Arthur Rudolph, George Rickey, Werner von Braun, and Major General Walter Dornberger and other rocket engineers would secretly be headed to work in America. Just as many of Hitler's scientists would soon become American scientists, so many of the Reich's headquarters and command posts would become key facilities used for Operation Paperclip. A chemist named Otto Ambrose, had documents to destroy. It was January 17, 1945, and every German in position of power Auschwitz, from the army officers to the IG Farben officials, was trying to flee. Auschwitz was the Reich's largest extermination center. As a concentration camp, it consisted of three Separate but symbolic camps. Auschwitz I, the main camp. Auschwitz II, the Birkenhau gas chambers and crematoria. And Auschwitz III, a labor concentration camp run by I.G. Farben. Guys, this is a corporation, chemical corporation, that's running a concentration camp for slave labor. Since April 7th, 1942, I.G. Farben had been building the Reich's largest chemical plant at Auschwitz using a workforce of slave laborers selected from the Auschwitz-trained car platforms. Farben called their facility IG Auschwitz. IG Auschwitz was the first corporate concentration camp in the Third Reich. Think about how crazy that is. A corporation was taking part in the slave labor of World War II. Now, we've seen it a lot throughout history. Right, slave labor. I, I would say, you know, or child labor. It, it's it happens, and it still happens to this day. But to think of a corporation sponsoring a concentration camp—it's just—it's mind blowing. Finally, on January twenty third, nineteen forty five, Ambrose left the concentration camp and was already on the way to Falkenhagen to destroy evidence in another Farben factory. There, that's what you're going to see. This is they. I don't know how great they were, but they had a plan to destroy evidence. And a lot, a lot of evidence was destroyed. So there still remains a lot of questions as to the extent of some of these experiments, some of these tests, and, and some of the things that IG Farben and other Nazis were up to. All munitions were loaded onto rail cars and trucks and sent to depots in the West. The destruction of the evidence was now becoming standard operating procedures at laboratories, research facilities, and armament factories across the Reich. And while Nazi Germany faced imminent collapse, its scientists, engineers, and bin- businessmen had their futures to think about. Like synthetic rubber and fuel at the Aus- at Auschwitz, the nerve agent production facility at Dernfurth was owned and operated by none of the IG Farben. And here, the Spear Ministry worked with Farben to fill aerial bombs with Tabin that could eventually be deployed from Luftwaffe planes. Enough poison gas had been produced here to decimate the population of London or Paris on any given day. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, guys, this the amount of chemical weapons and nerve agents and all sorts of shit that they were producing and we were producing, it's insane. And we'll go through it here. It's just, it's mind-blowing. I didn't realize the extent of it. You know, you hear about, yeah, they were doing this. Well, wait till we get through this. By 1945, Scheiber had overseen the production of 46.1 million gas masks. Their reliability had been tested at Dernferth on concentration camp prisoners. The stories that would emerge at the Nuremberg Trials About such tests were ghoulish, including locking prisoners in glass rooms and spraying them with nerve agent. Dr. Walter Scheiber worked for the U.S. military after the war and also for the CIA. They're going to have their hands in this too, guys. They never miss a good opportunity after they formed from this. Has never been fully explained until Annie Jacobson went after it. And that's why, I mean, she got... She got some FOIA requests. She got some information released that was never released before that we'll talk about here. But guys, if you haven't read it, read Annie Jacobson's Apparition Paperclip. Um, it is such a good book. Such So much knowledge in it. Slave laborers had been tolling away at Farben's secret chemical weapons plant, performing the deadliest of jobs, wearing a double layer double layer rubber suits and bubble shaped helmets. Prisoners filled artillery shells and bomb casings with nerve agent, marking each munition with a secret code indicating Taban nerve agent. Three rings uh, three green rings of paint. The prisoners' suits worked similar to deep sea diving suits. Attached to the back of the helmet was a tube delivering breathable air. But the air tube was short and gave the workers very little room to move. If a man accidentally detached from the air source, he would be exposed to the lethal vapors through the breathing tube and die. A conference taking place on the Crimea Peninsula at Yalta Yalta, between the big guns in February 4, 1945. It was to last for eight days. It was here that Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin were confirming their commitment to demand Germany's unconditional surrender. There would be no bargaining. The three heads of the state declared no deals made with the Nazis. The end of the war would mean the end of the Third Reich. War criminals would be chided. Justice meted out. Uh, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, he argued that they should be lined up and shot rather than put on trial. Uh, Stalin, however. He said, no executions without trial. And President Roosevelt wanted war crimes trial. Hitler then issued a nationwide scorched earth policy. Speer was to help organize the complete destruction of all German infrastructure, military and civilian, from its transportation and communication systems to its bridges and dams. This was known as the Nero Decree. Why? in 6 uh, what was it like 64 AD Nero watched Rome burn so this is their plan guys not only are they going to destroy the military infrastructure but the civilian infrastructure why it just doesn't make any sense and and if you look at the pictures from the german infrastructure back then it was top notch could have been some would say old world buildings just destroyed so someone else can't have them you know this this is that this is the mentality we're in in this very bizarre planet we're on von braun's vision was to escalate the rocket production from two or three rockets a day to 200 rockets a day <laughs> just a small increase to prepare for this ambitious expansion, he commandeered factories, schools, and mines throughout the region, but rocket assembly was dependent on workers, and slave laborers in Nordhausen were now dying at an ever-increasing rate. Von Braun had to have known this. He had visited the underground tunnels in an official capacity ten times during the winter of 1945. So anytime he tries to plead innocence, he was there at least ten times, in 45 alone. Prisoners were hanged up to 57 in one day, read one war crimes report. They were hanged in tunnels with the help of electrically controlled crane, a dozen at a time. Their hands bound behind their back, a piece of wood was put in their mouth to prevent shouting. Von Braun was now ready to concede that Germany would lose the war. What he was unwilling to do was relinquish his career. He needed a bargaining chip to use against the Americans after he was captured. So von Braun told uh, Bernard Tessman and Dieter uh, Hosel where he kept the most valuable V2 documents. Because von Braun was bedridden at the time, he needed the two subordinates to, uh, to crate up the documents and hide them in a remote secure place where the Allies would never find them. On April 4th, 1945, the local Nazi party district leaders had ordered villagers to shutter their windows, turn off their lights, and stay home. A lone truck driving slowly with its lights off, navigating by the moon. In the front seat sat Tessman and Hussle. In the back of the truck were seven German soldiers wearing blindfolds. Also in the truck were dozens of crates filled with classified V2 information. In December... Hitler's counteroffensive in the Ardennes Forest meant that also scientists could not conduct frontline missions as planned. But as serendipity would have it, the entire first floor of Hagen Strasbourg's apartment belonged to IG Farben, the chemical company, uh, the chemical weapons supplier of the Third Reich. And uh, so what they found was a big cache of documents. So they knew Farben was involved in weapons-related vaccine research and suspected they were involved in medical experiments on prisoners. The two Farben factories they had in their sites were located only about 80 miles away. But this is in a war zone, so 80 miles is, is quite a distance. More than 3,000 scientific and technical experts with the Combined Intelligence Objectives Subcommittee, the CIOS, the uh, it was a joint British American program. The goal of it was to investigate all things related to German science. And do what? Take it home. Use it for their own benefit. On March 23rd, 1945, the also scientists were determined to get to the IG Parvin factory first. What they ended up finding in Ludwigshaven was disappointing. Not only had the factory been heavily damaged by Allied bombing raids, but filing cabinets were empty. Paperwork had been destroyed or removed. There were no chemical weapons found. German counterintelligence agents had done a brilliant job concealing the Reich's nerve agent program from foreign intelligence agencies during the war. Tabin had been given previous code names, including Trilon 83 Substance-83, 83, and Gellon-1. Even its raw materials were coated. Ethanol was A four, sodium was A seventeen, making identification all but impossible. In May of '43, after capturing the German chemist in North Africa, British agents learn of a colorless nerve agent of astounding properties being developed by RG Farben chemists in Berlin. When the Allies finally secured the university, a Polish lab technician abro- approached a British soldier to say that they had salvaged a large pile of documents that did not pr- properly flush down a toilet bowl. The man turned over uh, to British intelligence a classified list of the Reich's top scientists. The officer handed over the list to Samuel Goldsmith of Operation Alsos. This group of documents would lead to what was become known as the Ossenberg List or the Ossenberg List, okay? Dr. Werner Ossenberg, a mechanical engineer, was a dedicated Nazi and a member of the SS. He was a high-ranking member of the Gestapo, which was Germany's secret police. In June of 43, uh, Ossenberg was assigned by Goering to run the so-called planning office of the Reich Research Council which was dedicated to warfare. Per the Fuhrer decree, the Research Council's charter read, Leading men of science above all are are to make research fruitful for warfare by working together in their special fields. Ostenberg's job was to coordinate basically a who's who list of, uh, you know, German scientists, engineers, doctors, technicians, anyone of any significance. He compiled a list of 15,000 men And 1,400 research facilities. All across Germany, scientists, engineers, and technicians were recalled from the front lines, an act Hitler called the Ossenberg action. This led to the release of 5,000 scientists from the German armed forces. Not only was this list a record of who'd been working on what scientific project for the Reich, but it also had their addresses, including one for Ossenberg himself. In the second half of 1944, the German Air Force had lost more than 20,000 airplanes. The Speer uh, Ministry had uh, since managed to produce about 3,000 new airplanes, but they were of little use now. Speer instructed Nehmeyer to hide the Luftwaffe technical information in the forest outside Berlin. Stashing official documents was treasonable offense, but according to Nehmeyer's personal papers, Speer and Nehmeyer had agreed that Germany's seminal scientific progress in aeronautics could not, under any circumstances, fall into Russian hands. And that's what this was, guys. This was everyone against Russia, even the Allies. They didn't want anything falling into the Russian hands. Nobody trusted Russia. Russia was the enemy in this war. And there are even some reports that... In reality, Hitler was trying to get England on his side to go against Russia. And they were close, very close, to making that happen, which would have made things very different in the scheme of things. So during the second week of April 1945, four key facilities were seized, each of which would lead to the capture of key scientists, who in turn would become part of Operation Paperclip. So in Nordhausen, the photographs um, took documented the tragedy that had befallen thousands of V-2 rocket laborers uh, condemned to die as slaves in the tunnels here. Hundreds of corpses were stretched out across the tunnel floors. Equally disturbing was the condition of hundreds more still alive. Emaciated humans covered with bruises and sores, too weak to even stand. It was a fabric of moans and whimpers of delirium and outright madness recalled a fellow soldier, Staff Sergeant Donald Schultz. John uh, Risen jones would not speak of it for 51 years. Like, this is, this is some horrific shit, guys. Like, just beyond comprehension. After five days in Nordhausen, they were ordered to move on. Most of the official paperwork regarding rocket production had been hidden or destroyed, shocker, but they found a single sheet of paper inadvertently left behind tacked to the wall. It was the middlework telephone list, a directory of who was in charge. That's important. At the very top were two names, George Rickey, who we mentioned before, director of production, and Arthur Rudolph, who we also mentioned before, deputy production manager. Also's agents first learned that the Reich was testing deadly vaccines on prisoners in concentration camps. Okay, so this is starting to really blow up. When cross referenced by Alsos against the Ossenberg list, the situation became even more clear. Dr. Karl Gross worked under Dr. Kurt Blom, the individual in charge of the biological weapons research and deputy surgeon of the Third Reich. Okay, so now we look at uh, Braunschweig camp. Inside the building, soldiers discovered state of the art aircraft uh, laboratories, including entire warehouses filled with airplane parts and rocket fuel. There were wind and weapon tunnels that were radically uh, more advanced than anything that the Army Air Forces had at Wright field. The oldest division in the U.S. Army had unexpectedly happened upon the most scientifically advanced aeronautics laboratory in the world. It was called Hermann Goering Aeronautical Research Center at Vulcan Road. The Allies had never heard of it before. It didn't appear on any CIOS blacklist. Air Force then led Operation Lusty, which was to seek out technical and scientific intelligence that would be of material assistance in the prosecution of the war against Japan. So they're looking now, okay, we got Germany done, now how can we finish off Japan? Major General Hugh Kerr, Deputy Commander of the U.S. Strategic Air Force in Europe, outlining his proposition and suggesting a second idea. Why not fly scientists like Adolf Busserman out of Germany, along with the captured Luftwaffe equipment? If we aren't too proud to make use of the German-born information, much benefit can be derived from it, and we can advance where Germany left off. Put wrote, The German scientists would be of immense value in our jet engine and airplane development program. Pride and face-saving have no place in national insurance. See, These guys are saying, hey, we just got to do what we got to do. You know, um, we got to turn a blind eye and just forget about all these heinous things these guys did because we need it for our jet engine and airplane development program. Yeah, that's good old America for you. Put oversaw a massive airlift of German aircraft and rocket parts from Vulcan Road to the U.S. 5,000 scientific documents were also shipped. Put informed the Germans that he could not offer them U.S. military contracts just yet, but that he would most likely be able to do so soon. Colonel Put and Major General Nur would then put their heads together and figure out a way to convince the War Department that their point of view was best for the United States, which was employing Nazi war criminals. The single largest cache of chemical weapons discovered to date was found 75 miles west of Hanover. On uh, April 16, 1945, abandoned German army proving ground called the Robber's Lair. In a second depot, 175 bunkers were filled with bombs Uh, that were unidentifiable to the Allies. Each bomb had been marked with three green rings painted around its sides. The original thought that the substance marked by three green rings was some kind of new Nazi blister agent, similar to, but perhaps more powerful than, mustard gas. The chemists were wrong. Extractions were made, and when tested on the rabbits in the mobile uh, laboratory, Whatever this liquid substance was killed a warm-blooded rabbit five times faster than anything that British or American scientists had ever seen or ever heard about before. Even more alarming, this liquid substance did not have to be inhaled to kill. A single drop on the rabbit's skin killed the animal in just a few minutes. The millions of uh, gas masks England had distributed to its city dwellers during the war would have offered no defense against a chemical weapon as potent as whatever this killing agent was. There you have it, guys. That's how close they were. If they could have got this Tabin onto bombs, it would have been. They would have pounded England, Russia, France into submission. This thing is just one drop would kill a rabbit. The Soviet operation to capture Berlin was colossal, involving 2.5 million Red Army soldiers, 41,600 guns and mortars, 7,500 aircraft, and more than 6,000 tanks. During the course of the next 12 days, the Red Army would fire 1.8 million shells on Berlin. Six days after Speer's final meeting with Hitler, the army uh, liberated Dachau, a concentration camp located 12 miles outside of Munich. Dachau, the first Nazi concentration camp, had been established by Himmler in March of 33. It was originally a place where communists and other political enemies of National Socialism, the ide- ideology behind the Nazi party, were sent. Dachau was the place where a group of Luftwaffe doctors had been conducting medical research experiments on humans. This work took place in a freestanding barracks, isolated from others, and was called Experiment Cell Block 5. At least six Nazi medical doctors involved in research at Dachau would be among the first scientists given contracts by the U.S. Army and become one of the darkest secrets of Operation Paperclip. okay so we're starting to see no remorse it is what it is we're going to take these guys at all and any cost ignoring what they've done now is this everybody i don't think so and we won't we'll see that it's definitely not as we go through this but it's interesting they uh what a mighty web they weave Hillard had named Donitz his successor. Donitz had set up his new government in the naval barracks at Yuton because it was one of the few places not yet controlled by Allied forces. Von Braun and Dornberger were not captured. So confident were they as to their future use by the U.S. Army that they turned themselves in. Right? So Werner Von Braun and Dornberger just turned themselves in because they knew they'd be useful to the Americans. On May 1st of 1945, the scientists were listening to national radio as it played uh, Bruckner's Symphony No. 7 at 10.26. The music was interrupted by a long military drumroll. Our Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler, fighting to the last breath against Bolshevism, fell for Germany this afternoon in his operational headquarters in the Reich Chancellery, the radio announcer declared von braun approached general Dornberger, suggesting that they move quickly to make a deal with the americans i agree with you Werner. it's our obligation to put our baby in the right hands right so these guys didn't care um about winning or losing the war it was just about salvation right just about keeping their mission going didn't matter where as long as it was in the right hand. And they felt the right hands were the Americans. They did not want to be taken by the Soviets. That was the last thing they wanted. The CIOS uh, blacklist for the rocket research included 1,000 names of scientists and engineers slated for interrogation. Werner von Braun was at the top of the list. Von Braun and Dornberger had selected a small group to join their deal-making team. They were Magnus von Braun, General Dornberger's chief of staff, uh, Herbert Axter, the engine specialist Hans Lindenberg, and two engineers who had hidden V2 documents inside the mine, Dieter Hutzel and Bernard Tessman. There's uh, There's recognition of Germany's defeat, but none whatsoever of Germany's guilt and responsibility. See, and that's what we see over and over again, is that they'll say, okay, yeah, we'll lose, but we're not accepting responsibility for the heinous things that we did. So confident were Von Braun and Dornberger about their value to the U.S. Army, they demanded to see General Eisenhower, whom they called Ike. I mean, these guys, they just think they're on a straight road. And you know what? They're right. They're right. They're They are valuable to the the Americans, and they know it. They have all the bargaining power on their side, especially since they have these hidden documents. Twenty-five agents attached to the U.S. military government's Cartels Division, including clerks with the OSS and Foreign Economic Division, had descended on the town looking for board members from IG Farben. In addition to being wanted for war crimes, the IG Farben Board of Directors was being investigated for international money laundering schemes. So Farben's just a regular good old corporate disaster. This time, the soldiers found an air raid shelter behind the house where a hidden trunk trunk filled with IG Farben documents. Hermann Schmitz, one of the wealthiest bankers in Germany and one of the most important players in the economics of the Third Reich. What secret was contained in his safe? The photographs were in a wooden inlaid cover dedicated to Hermann Schmitz on his 25th Jubilee, possibly as Farben director. On the scrapbook, uh, scrapbook, the word Auschwitz was written. Next to the photograph was a cartoonish drawing depicting individuals who had once been part of the Jewish population who lived there, portrayed in a mirror that was not flattering to them, Tilly explained. The caption underneath the cartoon read, The Old Auschwitz, as it was. Auschwitz in 1940. Schmidt's secret photo album that chronicled the building history of Farben's labor concentration camp IG Auschwitz from the very start. So here's photographic evidence right in front of them. Professor Dr. Friedrich Ludwig Kurt Blom was found. Samuel Goldschmidt and the entire team of biological warfare experts of Operation Also had been on the hunt for Blom. The War Crimes Office had considerable information about him because he was the Deputy Surgeon General of the Third Reich and Vice President of the Reich's Physician League. He is believed to have reported directly to Goering and maybe even to Himmler or both. Blom had been named the Head of the Reich Cancer Research in 1942. And when we find out about cancer, cancer is usually research on human beings. Also, and OSS presumed that this was a cover for the biological weapons work. Blom was a dedicated and proud Nazi. He had been part of a top-tier group of Nazis who focused on, quote-unquote, hygiene. This word connotated disease control, but was also believed to have been used by the Reich as a euphemism for ethnic cleansing and extermination of Jews. I cannot approve of the new uh, advances in medicine science, have been used for atrocities, declared Blom. He had observed new scientific studies and experiments which later led to atrocities, i.e. mass sterilization and gassing of Jews. But the U.S. investigator's excitement did not last long. By his next interrogation, Blom had entirely shut down. He told his uh, interrogating officer, that he only had ever been an administrator for the Reich, that he did nothing hands-on. Instead, he insisted that he knew nothing about the medical chain of command, the Third Reich, or the SS. Despite you know, despite the fact that he had personally met with Himmler five times in 1943, right? I mean, sure, he knew nothing. Um, Blom was asked how he was a cancer expert. And Halley had been put in charge of the bioweapons program, a subject he claimed now to know very little about. Blum said he had no answer for that. These uh these letters made clear that someone was providing Reich doctors with human guinea pigs. Who exactly was in charge of the program? Uh Blom Stonewalt. He wouldn't give any names. Um, so n- now their job was to locate the engineers who had built the fortified underground weapons facilities in the HARs. These bomb-proof bunkers were extraordinary engineering feats, and the USSBS was impressed with how so many of them withstood relentless Allied air bombing campaigns. When Beasley's two officers returned with George Ricky in custody, Beasley placed Ricky under arrest and began to interrogate him. Beasley told the former general manager of the Middlework, we accept you as an official of the German government. We have patience and time and lots of people. You have lost the war. And so far as I'm concerned, you are a man who knows a lot about rockets as an American officer. I want my country to have full possession of all your knowledge to my superiors. I shall recommend you be taken to the United States. Okay. This is one of the biggest Nazi war criminals and we're going to bring him to the United States. Ricky took Beasley to a cave several miles away. There, 42 boxes of worksheets, engineering tables, and blueprints relating to Nordhausen and the V2 program had been stashed. He had promised Ricky a recommendation for a job in the U.S., but first he needed Ricky to come with him to London to translate and analyze the documents. Right. So this guy's getting a free pass. He just He just handed over the blueprints to the V2, and now he's good. And Nordhausen Complex, so they can do tunnels and things like that. Albert Speer, one of the most wanted Nazi world criminals in the world, was finally captured in May of '45 in a friend's castle. By the time the British arrested Speer, American f- officials had known for nearly two weeks where he had been hiding out. Speer's previous 11 days in the castle had been spent in discussions with American officials with the U.S. Strategic Bombing Survey. We were looking for absolute vital information and knowledge and he was literally the only person in Germany who was in a position to provide it. Speer explained that his initiative, the majority of the Reich's weapon facilities had been moved underground. These weapon complexes had proved to be impervious to even the heaviest bombing campaign by the Allies. After 11 days of discussion with the Americans, the British located and arrested Speer. They drove him six miles away um, where he went with the rest of Hitler's government that was had been arrested. So under the escort of more than thirty armored vehicles, the prisoners were driven to waiting aircraft. There, in a field of grass, the men of Hitler's inner circle were loaded onto two airplanes and flown to top secret interrogation center codenamed Ashcan. At another camp before the guard, stood a man many considered to be the most powerful man in the Third Reich after Hitler. It was Himmler, okay, the Reichs- Reichsfuhrer SS, and chief of German police, commander of the Reserve Army of the Wehrmacht, and Reich Minister of the Interior. Captain Smith ordered a second physical exam of the prisoner, of the doc- uh, and the camp's doctor, Captain Clement Wells, spotted a blue-tipped object hidden in the back of Himmler's mouth. When uh, Dr. Wells tried to remove it, Himmler jerked his head back and bit down. The vial contained poison. Within seconds, the prisoner collapsed. Now, Heinrich Himmler was dead. Heinrich Himmler and Adolf Hitler were dead. Albert Speer was in custody. So were Siegfried Niemeyer and Kurt Blom. Otto Ambrose was under house arrest. Um... Werner von Braun, Walter Dornberger, and uh, Arthur Rudolph were also in custody and trying to get contracts with the U.S. Army. George Rickey was uh, working his job in London, translating the documents for the USSBS. And over the next few months, critical decisions about what to do with these scientists would need to be made. And almost always based on the military's needs, and justified by perceived threats. Official policy would follow one version for the public and another for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. A headless monster called Operation Paperclip would emerge. What to do about Hitler's former scientists? By the time Germany started World War II, its air force was the most powerful in the world. Scientists were rounded up and taken to detention centers for extensive questioning. Across the former Reich, Uh, Schaaf had set up internment centers where more than 1,500 scientists were now being held uh, separate from other German prisoners of war. The U.S. Army had approximately 500 scientists in custody in the Bavarian Alps, including von Braun and Dornberger. There were 444 persons of interest detained in Munich, 200 were in Austria, 30 in France. The U.S. had 200 scientists and engineers at a holding facility in Germany, including many wind tunnel experts. The U.S. Army Air Force had 150 Luftwaffe uh, engineers and technicians in Germany as well. Um, They had been rounded up by Colonel Donald Putt. Uh, The CIOS had 50 scientists, including Werner Ossenberg. Ossenberg. Uh, They were in France. But there was no clear policy regarding what lay ahead for the scientists, the engineers, and the technicians that were in Allied custody. General Eisenhower was trying to figure out and find clarification on it. Meanwhile, General Ken- Major General Kenneth B. Wolfe of, of the Army Air Forces took matters into his own hands. When General Wolfe saw the vast number of V-weapons left behind, he became even more convinced that a U.S. program to exploit Nazi science had to happen now. He he saw that this this was going to be what put the U.S. over the top. And if they didn't get it and the Soviets did, we were done. We were going to play number two. Upon his return to Washington, D.C., General Wolfe wrote General Clay with a revised idea. Not only did the U.S. military need to act immediately to capture Nazi armaments, but America needed to hire the German scientists and engineers who created the weapons and put them to work in America now. If steps to this end are taken, the double purpose of preventing Germany's resurgence as a war power and advancing our industrial future may be served u s Army ordnance believed that the v two rocket could help win the Pacific War. They had overseen a collection of four hundred tons of rocket parts which had been loaded on rail cars for delivery to the port of Antwerp from where they were be then shipped to the u s Without blueprints or technical drawings, it was highly unlikely the American engineers could simply cobble the rocket components together and make the V-2 fly. The drawings and blueprints had been stashed somewhere near Nordhausen. A source told him that there was a V-2 rocket scientist by the name of Carl Otto Fleischer, Walter Rydell, chief of V2 motor uh, and structural design, said he knew at least 40 rocket scientists besides himself who should be brought to America to complete the groundbreaking work. If Americans didn't act, Rydell said, the Russians surely would. Starver asked Rydell if he knew where the V2 technical drawings were hidden. Rydell said he had no idea. And this is what we're seeing, guys. This is a mad dash. This is U.S. versus Russia. They're going in. They're scooping up as many assets, as many um, parts, anything they can get their hands on. I mean, in one uh, German facility, the Russians took the sinks. I mean, they took everything out of it. Everything. Dr. H.P. Robertson uh, told Major Staver that he intended to take rocket engineers Fleischer, Rydell, and Reese for interrogation, where they would be held alongside Gen- uh, General Dornberger and Werner von Braun until the War Department general staff decided on the policy regarding Nazi scientists. If not able to locate the V-2 documents by then, the Russians would eventually find them. Arthur Rudolf's interrogator saw Rudolf differently than he saw himself. In military intelligence documents, Rudolf dis- was described as 100% Nazi, a dangerous type. There was a decision to be made, whether to use Rudolf as an intelligence source or to intern him for denazification and investigation into possible war crimes. Denazification was an Allied strategy to uh, democratize, and demilitarize post-war Germany and Austria through tribunals in local civilian courts that were set up to determine individual defendants' standings. So each German who was tried uh, was to be judged to belong in one of the five categories or classes. So you were either a major offender, a party activist, a uh, militarist or profiteer, an individual who uh, were less incriminated, You had the Nazi Party followers, and lastly, those who were exonerated. There, in almost an inaudible, somewhat apologetic tones, Fleischer admitted that he had not been completely frank about the whereabouts of the V-2 rocket document stash. In fact, he knew where they were heading and believed he was the only one in Nordhausen who did. But there was a problem, Fleischer said. He described to Staver how the caretaker at the mine had dynamited the wall of rubble over the entrance so no one could find them. This man was a Nazi and would never turn over the documents to an American officer like Major Staver. Fleischer said he'd take Dr. Reese with him to do the job. As unreliable as he was, Staver decided to take Fleischer at his word. He gave him passes that allowed them to travel to Nordhausen as well as enough gasoline to get him back and forth between Nordhausen and the mine. Fleischer and Reese succeeded in getting the mine's caretaker to cooperate. Local miners were paid by Fleischer using money from the U.S. Army to excavate through the rubble and retrieve the documents hidden in a mine. Guys, this is something out of a Bond movie, right? Hidden documents in a blown-up cave. But this this is the extent because they didn't think they were done. Either they were going to regroup the Fourth Reich somewhere else under the German Nazi flag, or they were going to go do it under another national flag. They didn't care. As long as they were allowed to continue to do their work, they were fine. So this stash, the stash was enormous. The crates were weighing more than 14 tons. The original agreement between the British and the Americans was that The two allies would share everything they learned about about the V weapons program. If the British found out Staver was planning uh, to secretly ship 100 V2 rockets back to the U.S., they would likely consider it a double cross, as they should. Major Staver needed to get to Paris. It was the only way he could obtain access to 10-ton trucks necessary for moving such large cash in such a short period of time. But to make the rockets fly, the Americans needed the German scientists, so the army needed to bring these scientists to the U.S. as well. And as you see, you can't do one without the other, and they need both. General Dornberger confessed to having hidden his own stash of papers, and ace in the hole, had Dornberger had been double-crossed by von Braun and left out of the American deal. General Dornberger told Staver that he had buried five large boxes in a field in the spa town of Bad Sasha. The boxes, which were made of wood and lined with metal, contained critical information about the V-2 rocket that would compromise the U.S. Army if it fell into Russian hands. And this is the game they play, right? If you guys don't get it, the Russians are going to. And the Americans are all in. They don't care. They will do anything to keep it out of the Russians' hands. So they located Dornberger's metal, case, metal line cases, which contained about 250 pounds of drawings and documents. The stash was loaded onto a truck and driven to an army facility in the American zone. Von Braun, 80 scientists and their family were taken to the town of Witzenhausen in the American zone. There, they were paid to get to work on future rocket plans while army ordnance worked on the plan to bring them to the U.S., The Americans had been assessed with the V-2 weapons, or the V-weapons, during the war. Now they had the science and the scientists, and they were not going to let that go. Dr. Herbert Wagner had been a chief missile design engineer at Henschel Aircraft. He was the man behind the first guided missile used in combat by the Reich, the HS-293. This remote-controlled bomb was the nemesis of the U.S. Navy and British Royal Navy, and he had sunk several Allied ships during the war. Not only did the U.S. Navy see the glide bomb technology as critically important in the fight in the Pacific, but they saw Dr. Wagner as a man with quote-unquote knowledge, experience, and skills unmatched anywhere in the world. So they were willing to forget that he had been blowing up their ships throughout the war just so they could get his knowledge. Man, uh, on May of 1945, a Nazi submarine, identified in New York Times headline as the Japanese, uh, Japan-bound U-234, surrendered itself to the USS Sutton in the waters 500 miles off Cape Race in New in Newfoundland. Inside, this is what's interesting. Inside the submarine was a cache of Nazi wonder weapons, said to contain what few aviation secrets may be left, as well as. Other war weapon plans and pieces of equipment. One of the Wonder weapons on board was Dr. Wagner's uh, HS 293 glider bomb, meant for use uh, against the U.S. Navy in the Pacific. Additionally, there were drawings and plans for the V 1 flying bomb and the V 2 rocket, experimental equipment for stealth technology on submarines, an entire ME 262 fighter craft, and 10 lead-lined canisters containing 1,200 pounds of uranium oxide, a basic material used for in making an atomic bomb. The fact the Nazis had sold the secrets of some of their most prized wonder weapons to the Axis partner Japan was alarming. On board the U-234 was top Reich scientists whose job it was to teach Japanese scientists how to copy and manufacture these wonder weapons for themselves. Now think about that. Think about how the war would have changed if the Japanese got the Nazi tech. I mean, it could have totally changed things if the Nazis had the uh, Japanese on their. You know, it was too late for the Nazis at this point, but if the Japanese could have held on, you never know. They bring back the Fourth Reich as their partner in crime, and we're in a uh, man-in-the-high-castle situation. If anybody hasn't seen that's a an Amazon Prime show. I highly recommend it about a scenario where the Axis wins the war and America split into two, where Rocky's East is basically Nazi territory, Rocky's West is basically Japanese territory. Very interesting concept. Finally, on May 1945, Undersecretary of War Robert uh, Patterson weighed in on the classified subject of hiring Nazis for U.S. military research. Patterson wrote to the Chief of the U.S. uh, Staff of President, Admiral William D. Leahy, I strongly favor doing everything possible to utilize fully in the prosecution of the war against Japan all information that can be obtained from Germany or any other source. These men are enemies, and it must be assumed that they are capable of sabotaging our war effort. Bringing him to this country raises delicate questions, including strong resentment of the American public, who might under- misunderstand the purpose of bringing them here and the treatment accorded to them. Wait a second. They're saying that the American public might un- misunderstand the purpose of bringing them here and why we're treating them so well. After what they did to our men and women are soldiers, or troops, right? This is just unbelievable. Again, it's a spin, guys. This is what our government does. They're psychopaths. They're absolute psychopaths. And they will do anything to win. At all costs. They don't care. Major General Malcolm Groh, Surgeon General of the U.S. Strategic Air Forces in Europe, and Lieutenant Colonel Harry Armstrong, Chief Surgeon of the 8th Air Force, saw opportunity in seizing everything the Nazis had been working on in aviation research knowledge into U.S. Army's Air Force. General Groh would return to Army Air Force headquarters in Washington, D.C., where he would lobby superiors to authorize and pay for new research laboratory, exploiting what Nazi doctors had been working on during the war. When in Berlin, Armstrong had a list of 115 individuals he hoped to find. And at the top of that was one of the Reich's most important aviation doctors, a German physiologist named uh, Dr. Hubertus Strughold. A medical war crimes investigator and physician named Major Leopold Alexander, um, he was a Boston-based psychiatrist and neurologist working for the Army. Uh, Dr. Strughold's name had been placed on an Army intelligence list of suspected war criminals with the Central Registry of War Criminals and Security Suspects, Crocass. Major Alexander was on a mission to locate him. German scientists could be hired for U.S. military contract work, provided they were not known or alleged war criminals, is how it was stated. The Crocass allegations against Strughold were serious, they included capital war crimes. So therefore, he would not be able to work for us falling under those parameters. Within two months, we're going to go back to 1933 here for a second. Within two months of Hitler's taking power, the Nazis initiated a nationwide boycott of Jewish doctors, lawyers, and business professionals. This was followed in April of 33 by the Reich's Law for the Restoration of Professional Civil Service. It was now illegal for non-Aryans to work as civil servants, a ban that included every university teaching position throughout Germany. Okay, so this is it. This is where they start. Alexander, ignoring the Nazi mandate that now barred Jews from working as doctors or professors, he wrote a letter to Professor Kleist, his mentor in Germany, saying how much he looked forward to returning home. Kleist wrote back to say that his return to Germany was quote-unquote totally impossible. You as a Jew, since you have not served as a soldier in the First World War, cannot be state employed. In closing, Kleist wrote, Have no false hopes. This letter may have saved Dr. Alexander's life. Fortune again favored him when in the fall of 1933, he learned that he had been awarded a position at State Mental Hospital in Worcester, Massachusetts. Only a few months after his arrival in New England, he was promoted to a full-time position in Neuropsychiatric Ward at Boston State Hospital. Wow. In December 1941, America went to war. For the duration of the war, Dr. Alexander helped wounded soldiers recover from shell shock. He also collected data on flight fatigue. After the war, he was to go to Germany and investigate allegations of Nazi medical crimes. In Friesling, uh, Alexander was shown another impressive medical research facility. It was hidden in a barn, complete with a library and x-ray facilities. But the lab was clearly designed to handle experiments on small animals, mice and guinea pigs, not larger animals like cows, horses, and adult pigs. There were records, drawings, and charts of the freezing experiments. Where had the large experiments taken place? Weitz took Alexander to the rear of the barn, behind a stable, and in a separate shed located far in the back of the property. There, Weitz uh, pointed to two dirty wooden tubs, both cracked. It was an extraordinary moment for Dr. Alexander would later testify, horrifying in its clarity. Neither of the tubs could possibly fit a submerged cow, horse, or a large pig. What these tubs could fit was a human being, Dr. Alexander said. It's disgusting. This is it. Now they're finding the evidence. This is where they conducted the human experiments. So Alexander wrote, I came away from all these interviews with the distinct conviction that experimental studies on human beings, either by members of this group uh, themselves or by other workers well-known to the affiliated with members of this group, had been performed but were being concealed. Right? This is being done in in hiding, as it should be. I mean, it shouldn't be done out in the open. It shouldn't be done, period. According to Nazi ideology, subhumans, a designation that included Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, Poles, Slavs, Russian prisoners of war, the handicapped, the mentally ill, and others were no different from white mice or lab rabbits whose bodies could thereby be experimented on to advance the Reich's medical goals. Right there. And they say, quote-unquote, or quote, These subhumans... "...is a biological creature crafted by nature," said Heinrich Himmler, Heinrich Himmler, "...which has hands, legs, eyes, and mouth, even the semblance of a brain. Nevertheless, this terrible creature is only partial human being. Not all of those who appear human are in fact so." German citizens were asked to believe this pseudoscience. Millions did not protest. German scientists and physicians use this racial policy to justify torturous medical experiments resulting in maiming and death. It's just disgusting what they're doing, guys. So disgusting and unfathomable. You know, they just don't see certain segments of the population as human. They are subhuman in their eyes. As a war crimes investigator, Dr. Alexander was one of the first American servicemen to learn that the Reich had first sterilized and then euthanized nearly its entire population of mentally ill persons, including tens of thousands of children under the law of prevention of genetically diseased offspring. Okay, and this is a big policy within the Reich. And, you know, you start looking into it. These Nazis, this is how they treat mentally ill people. Now, I know a lot of you don't want to hear this, but think about what's going on in Ukraine. There are known Nazis there that we are supporting. They do not support gay marriage in Ukraine. They do not support trans. Okay, this is not... You guys are... Totally supporting something that goes against every one of your social justice protocols. And you've been lured in by these magicians, like they do. And you've been painted a picture that is complete and utter bullshit. It's the upside down. It's total inversion. You are cheering for Nazis. You are cheering for basically the New World Order. You are cheering for the military-industrial complex. You are cheering for... It's, it's, it's just totally a wag-the-dog scenario. Dr. Alexander received further news. I learned that the entire contents of Himmler's secret cave in in Germany, containing a vast amount of miscellaneous special secret SS records, had recently been discovered and taken. The papers had been stamped with the unmistakable logo of the SS, and they bore Himmler's personal annotations, drawn in the margins in green pencil he liked to use. These papers would turn out to be among the war's most incriminating discoveries in a single document find. Most disturbing to Alexander were a group of photographs showing what happened in the course of the experiments as healthy young men were strapped into harness inside a low-pressure chamber and uh, subjected to explosive decompression. These photographs were essentially before, during, and after pictures of murder in the name of medicine. Other photographs among the Himmler papers documented the freezing experiments as they had been conducted at Dachau. There were photographs of yet another of Dr. Strunkhold's Luftwaffe colleagues, Dr. Ernst Holtzner, holding prisoners down in tubs of icy water while their body temperatures were recorded as they died. Guys, this is this is what they're recording. They're taking pictures of this because they don't think they're going to get caught. They're not saving the pictures for any reason other than to show that this is what they can do to people. Dr. Alexander learned that the experiments had been conducted on Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, and Catholic, Catholic priests in secret. Freestanding barracks called Experimental Cell Block 5. In general, the death of prisoners transferred to Block 5 was expected within two to three days, testified one person. Luftwaffe reports used the words guinea pigs, large pigs, and adult pigs as code words for their human subjects. In one of Weitz's papers, confiscated by Dr. Alexander, entitled Alcohol and Rewarming, Weitz wrote that shipwreck experiments had been simulated in large pigs. The pigs were placed in tubs of water with blocks of ice and given alcohol to see if rewarming effect occurred. The results showed that alcohol in pigs does not increase or accelerate the loss of warmth. In Swarm Testimony, Father Michalowski described what had been done to him at Dachau. I was taken to room 4 on block 5. I was dropped in the water, in which ice blocks were floating. I was conscious for one hour, then given some rum. In Weitz's paper, the word large pig really meant Catholic priest. Dr. Strunkhold handpicked 58 Luftwaffe doctors for a research program. In less than two years, many Nazi doctors chosen by Dr. Strunkhold would quietly begin their secret journey to the United States. guys, these same people that are doing experiments on Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, and Catholic priests are brought in to lead our programs. South American countries, Argentina and Uruguay in particular, were known to be giving safe haven to Nazi war criminals who had escaped Germany at the end of the war. The State Department had been putting pressure on those countries to repatriate Nazis back to Europe to face war crime charges. If it came out that the State Department was providing not only safe haven, but employment opportunities for Nazi scientists in the United States, that would cause an international scandal. And while some generals and colonels in the War Department were decidedly for Nazi science programs, others were fundamentally opposed. Okay, so this is where we're going to start seeing it. There is definitely a divide here. Not It is not generally accepted practice. One of the ground rules for bringing them over is that it will be temporary and at a return of their exploitation, they will be sent back to Germany said one general. The second general agreed. I'm opposed, and Pop Powers, a nickname for the Pentagon official, is opposed. The whole War Department is opposed. To, quote-unquote, open our arms and bring in German technicians and treat them as honored guests was a very bad idea. John J. McCloy would become especially significant player in Operation Paperclip starting in 1949. McCloy's position regarding the exploitation of Nazi science and scientists was he believed that the program would help foster American superior military superiority while engendering economic prosperity. Goering was arguably the most notorious of Hitler's inner circle still alive. Former Commander in uh, chief of the Luftwaffe, director of the four-year plan. It was long-acknowledged successor until it was uh, perceived betrayal at the very end. It was Hermann Goering who ordered security police chief uh, Reinhard Heydrich to organize and coordinate plans for a solution to the Jewish question. Goering said he had been unfairly tricked by his captors. He had been told he was going to a palatial spa. When Goering arrived at uh, ash can he was expecting a vacation. He was brought along. He brought along eleven suitcases and twenty thousand paracodon pills, <laughs> and had made sure his toenails and fingernails had been varnished to a bright shine for his stay. His mattress was made of straw. Goering barked. He didn't even have a pillow. Ah, oh, poor Nazi leader. No pillow. No bed. He's not getting his vacation. Uh, you got to feel for these guys, you know. So we uh, facility CCPWE number 32 was filled with Nazi bonzin, the big wheels, as First Lieutenant John Delbois and other interrogators called him. Hans Frank, the butcher, the, the known butcher, Jew butcher of Krakow, arrived at Ashcan on a stretcher in silk pajamas drenched in blood. He had tried to kill himself by slashing his own throat. Other prisoners included members of the former German general staff. These were men who personally helped Hitler plan and execute World War II and the Holocaust. Those who hadn't escaped, perished, or committed suicide. In a second circle or quick, there were Nazi gangsters, the old fighters, who had been with Hitler at the beginning of his rise to power. Okay, So you see these, you know, these old-time Nazis are not going to just give up that easy. At the war's end, the chief of uh, the staff of the U.S. Chemical Warfare Service had set their sights on bringing Hitler's chemists to the U.S., right? They wanted all this stuff here. The service saw unbridled potential in making the Nazi's nerve agent program its own and was willing to go to great lengths to obtain its secrets. Less than one month after British tanks rolled into the robber's lair and found the enormous cache of tabin filled bombs in the forest... Um, Of Munster Nord, the Chemical Warfare Service had obtained a sample of the nerve agent and was analyzing the properties in the United States. Uh, It took two weeks to complete. The analysis revealed that Tabin was a revolutionary killer that could decimate enemy armies. General William N. Porter, uh, the Chief of Chemical Warfare Service, requested that uh, 260 kilograms tabin filled bombs be shipped from the robber- robber's lair to the united states by air under highest priority for field tests separately general porter asked u.s army for air forces and u.s army ordinance to conduct their own feasibility studies to determine if tabin bombs could be used in combat by u.s troops now guys this is the same substance that with one drop killed that rabbit and now these psychopaths want to see if they can put it in a bomb and use it against the enemy. Without even knowing much about it, right? This is how wild this shit is. They don't, they don't even know what the long-term effects of it are. They don't know what it would do to the land. They don't know anything. They just will it kill. That's all they care, care about right here. In a June 1943 speech, President Roosevelt himself said that using chemicals to kill people was immoral and inhumane. When German nerve gas entered into the world of chemical warfare, it was brought with it assurance of U.S. chemical warfare program and peacetime. Within several months of the German surrender, 530 tons of Tabin nerve agent were shipped to the United States and used in top secret field tests. Five hundred thirty tons. <laughs> Whereas Ashcan housed the Nazi high command, dustbin had many Nazi scientists, doctors, and industrialists under guard. This included more than twenty chemists with IG Farben and at least six members of its board. Okay, so you had two main camps where we were holding these prisoners. We had Ashcan and we had dustbin Throughout the early summer of 1945, several key players in Farben's uh, Taven gas program were still at large. For Major Tilly, the chronology regarding how Farben first began producing its nerve gas and how it transformed into a wide-scale production remained a mystery until Farben chemist named Gerhard Schrader was captured and brought to dustbin. Schrader spoke freely, offering up everything he knew, beginning with the Tabin startling discovery in the fall of 1936. So what they're learning now, guys, is that they've had this thing for almost a decade. They've had this substance. Schrader had been developing cyanide-containing fumigant, which he had been given the code PREPARATION991. They all agreed that Preparation 991 was a hundred times more lethal than anything anyone at Leverkusen Lab had ever worked with before. After a healthy ape was injected with a tiny amount of Preparation 991, just one-tenth of a milligram per kilo of body weight, the ape died in less than an hour. Next, Gross tested the substance on an ape inside an inhalation chamber. He watched a healthy ape die in 16 minutes. The professor Gross told Dr. Schrader that his Preparation 991 was being sent to Berlin and that he should wait for further instruction on, how, on what action to take next. In 1937, Schrader was invited to Berlin to demonstrate how he'd synthesized Preparation 911. Everyone was astounded. This was the most promising chemical killer since the Germans invented mustard gas. Preparation 991 was classified top secret and given a code name, Tabin Gas. With their new nerve agent, Tabin, Farben executives saw all kinds of business opportunities. Carl Crouch, the head of Farben's board of directors, began working with Hermann Goering on a large-range plan to arm Germany with chemical weapons, ones that could eventually be dropped on enemies from airplanes. He responded to Crouch in writing, noting that the deadly effects of nerve agents like Tavengas gas could wreak psychological havoc on civilian populations, driving them crazy with fear. And this is what they did with the the bombing of Berlin, or uh, uh, the Blitzkrieg in the bombing of London. Not only was that to destroy infrastructure, that was to kill morale and instill fear. Or just arbitrarily carpet bombing uh, civilian targets. I mean, that's just that's a war crime in itself. But, hey, it is what it is. Farben was now positioned to build the Reich's chemical weapons industry from the ground up now an official part of the Nazi's secret four-year plan, and through uh, Crouch, IG Farben was made privy to the Reich's war plan before war was declared. Crouch had been in charge of technical development of chemical weapons production at uh, Gendorf and at Diernforth. That Gendorf produced mustard gas on an industrial scale, and that Diernwerth uh, produced Taven. Crouch also revealed a new piece of evidence. Diernwerth produced a second nerve agent, one that was even more potent than Taven, called SARIN. SARIN was an acronym pieced together from the names of the four key persons involved, Schrader and Ambrose from IG Farben, and from the German Army, two officers, Rudiger and Lind. Otto Ambrose served as Farben's chief uh, chemical weapons production throughout Hitler's rule. Few men were as important to IG Farben during the war as Otto Ambrose had been. IG Farben began producing first, they they were just into synthetic rubber, which they started in 1935. As the invasion of the Soviet Union was uh, secretly conceived by the German High Command, Hitler called upon Farben's board of directors to increase its synthetic rubber production. Farben needed uh, to construct a massive new... uh, Buna Buna factory. Otto Ambrose was put in charge of masterminding this undertaking as well. The place chosen was Auschwitz. For Farben, the use of slave labor could take the company to levels of economically prowess previously unexplored. First, a financial deal had to be made with the SS. This is all about money, guys. IG Farben is whoring itself out, willing to do whatever it takes for Daddy Reichstag. The concentration camp already existing with approximately 7,000 prisoners is to be expanded um, because SS and IG Farben, Farben needed one another. Himmler wanted Farben's resources at Auschwitz and was eager to make a deal to supply slaves so SS officers hosted a dinner party for Farben's rubber and construction experts at the Auschwitz concentration camp, how nice you get to have dinner at a concentration camp. Farben would pay the SS three Reichsmark a day for each laborer supplied, and would go into the SS tre- it would go into the SS treasury, not to the slaves. On April uh, of 1941. Our new friendship with the SS is proving very profitable. Ambrose explained the SS agreed to provide Farben with one thousand slaves immediately. That number promised uh, that number promised himmler could quickly rise to thirty thousand with demand. It was now clear to him that there was no single individual more important to Hitler's chemical weapons program than Otto Ambrose. Tilly had also learned that the gas used to murder millions of people at Auschwitz and other concentration camps, Zyklon B, was a Farben product. Farben owned the patent on Zyklon B, and it was sold to the Reich by IG Farben company. I kept it for me because it was so terrible. I asked the Farben employee, it is known to you and Ambrose, and other directors in Auschwitz that the gases and chemicals are being used to murder people. Yes, it is known to IG directors in Auschwitz. That night, a telegram arrived at Dustbin, sent from Paris, and the telegram ordered the release of all Farben chemical weapons scientists at Dustbin and was signed by a British Ministry of Supply. Colonel Ch- Child swore. He had neither written the memo nor signed it and accused Lieutenant Colonel Tar of forgery. So they, it wasn't even real. They were making up, they were trying to get these Farben execs released, and so they forged a document. According to Blom, it was Himmler who was the primary motivator behind the uh, Reich's bioweapons program. Hitler, Blom said, did not approve of biological warfare. It was kept in the dark as to specific plans. Himmler's area of greatest fascination, said, Bl- uh, said Blom, was bubonic plague. In 1943, Himmler ordered Blom to study various dissemination methods of plague bacteria for offensive warfare. According to Blom, he shared with Himmler his fears regarding to the dangerous boomerang effect a plague bomb would most likely have to Germany. Himmler told Blom that in that case he would get to work immediately to produce a vaccine to prevent such a thing. To expedite vaccine research, Blom said Himmler ordered him to use human beings. <laughs> I mean, th- this is just amazing. He this this maniac wants to r- release plagues and thinks, ah oh, yeah, I'll just create a vaccine for it. In order to do that, we just, you know, we just have to test humans. It's insanity. Himmler offered uh, Blom a medical block at concentration camp like Dachau where he could complete his work. Blom said he told Himmler he was aware of strong objections in certain circles to using humans in experimental vaccine trials. Himmler told Blom that experimenting on humans was necessary in the war effort. To refuse was the equivalent of treason. Blom said he counseled uh, Himmler on the fact that the concentration camp was a... Terrible place to experiment with bubonic plague because the population was too dense. Baum's research institute was to be called the Bacteriological Institute of Nesselstedt. Okay, so this sounds a lot like what went on in 2020 and 2021. That they created this thing and they had to test it on human beings. To see what it would do. Himmler's idea was to take infected rats onto U-boats and release them near enemy shores they could swim to land. As far as Blom was concerned, Himmler's U-boat dispersal idea was not practical. Himmler proposed another idea. How about disseminating a a virulent strain of hoof-and-mouth disease? Blom told Himmler that these were dangerous ideas as any outbreak would surely affect Germany's troops. The Reich needed a massive stockpile of vaccinations before it could feasibly launch a biological attack. Himmler told Blom that infecting the enemy's food supply would have a sinister effect on enemy troops. I mean, this is just maniacal. These guys, were they would do anything. And these guys, who who took over after them? The United States. And they continued this same disgusting shit. There was, however, a problem. International agreement prohibited stocks of Rinderpest virus to be stored anywhere in Europe. Strains of the cattle plague were available only in the third world. And that's something that I found funny also. Uh, you can't you can't stir- store this stuff, this hoof and mouth, in uh, first world countries. It's only good enough to be stored in third world countries. Because if it gets loose, eh, they're just third world people, you know. Guys, th- they don't consider us humans. And this should tell you everything you need to know about government, leadership, everything. Bomb told his interrogators work on vaccines was moving forward. Not at either of his research institutes, but in the army instead. Dr. Scheiber was in charge of protecting Germans against biological weapons should they be used. The sword and the shield. Also had two key pieces of information now. The Russians had a laboratory from Passen, and they had a doctor in charge of vaccines. Major Dr. Walter Scheiber. They both had science and the scientist. So Prosecutor General Telford Taylor... After the war, our task was to prepare and prosecute leading Nazi scientists on specific criminal charges. The first question a prosecuting attorney asked in such a situation, where's the evidence? The blunt fact was, despite what everybody knew about Nazi leaders, virtually no judicially admissible evidence was at hand. Frustration was mounting at Ashcan. Prisoners were conspiring to withhold information. They were whispering, Rather important secrets to each other determined not to help on the question of Hidden Loop, the whereabouts of Martin Bormann, and the guilt for war atrocities. Walter Funk started to cry. Then he told Colonel Andrews that it was he who gave the order that all the gold in every prisoner's mouth in every concentration camp across the Reich be removed and collected for the Reichsbank's reserves. Funk confessed that At first, he'd had the gold knocked out of their mouths while they were alive, but realized if they were dead, there was far less bother. So this psychopath, again, just to not let anything go to waste, they are taking the gold teeth out of the prisoner's mouth while they're alive. Knocking them out. I mean, this is just disgusting. In July 6, 1945, a classified memorandum with the subject heading Exploitation of German Specialists in Science and Technology in the United States, the Joint Chiefs of of Staff finally approved a Nazi scientist program. President Truman was not made aware of the initiative. A five-page memo was sent out to eight agencies within the War Department outlining principles and procedures governing the classified program. The three most important important points were that 1. Certain German specialists could be utilized to increase our war-making capacity against Japan and aid our post-war military research. 2. No known alleged war criminals should be brought to the United States. And 3. The purpose of the plan should be understood to be temporary military exploitation of a minimum number of German specialists necessary. According to this... As soon as the jobs were completed, the specialists would be returned to Europe. Participants, it was noted, should be hereafter referred to as eminent German specialists, as opposed to German scientists because not all the Nazis being requested were scientists. Some were Nazi bureaucrats, businessmen, accountants, and lawyers, things like that. The project also now had official code name, Operation Overcast. The name Paperclip would not be used for another eight months. A list of desired scientists, list one, accompanied the memo and included 115 rocket specialists. When the British learned about the U.S. Army's intention to hire rocket scientists, they asked to be uh, asked to first be allowed to conduct two rocket exploitation projects of their own. The Americans agreed and released into British custody a group of scientists, engineers, and technicians, including von Braun, Dornberger, and Rudolph. The British pulled a sneaky on us," explained Major Staver. The Americans were not permitted to take Dornberger back after the operation. Instead, Dornberger was declared on loan and was taken to England. There, he and Von Braun were interrogated for a week by the British and then kept behind barbed wire in Wimbledon for four and a half weeks while waiting to be picked up by the Americans. Eventually, Von Braun was returned, but General Dornberger was not. Von Braun later told the New York Magazine... uh, We were interested solely in exploring outer space. It was simply a question of us how the golden cow could be milked most successfully. So they knew, guys. They saw America as the golden cow. And they knew America would bite at anything they gave them. Sixteen Germans boarded a second, smaller plane and were flown to a naval air station in Quincy, Mass., The fortress-like nature of the coastal defense made the facility an ideal place for a secret military program like Operation Overcast. When the first giant uh, German scientists arrived in September of 1945, the fortress was still under army control but had not been used for nearly 30 years. okay so now in the factory in Buna, IG Farben planned to produce chemical weapons at the death camp the company had plans for further uh, construction of a CW plant at Auschwitz in February of 1945 so here we go ramping it up Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency would now be in charge of decision making for the classified program the JOIA jioa was a subcommittee of the joint intelligence committee which provided national security to the joint chiefs of staff to understand the jioa's power and how it ran the nazi scientist program so secretively uh you have to understand the jic the jic was and remains one of the most enigmatic of all american intelligence agencies The JIC structure was always in motion, always morphing and changing, a flexible ad hoc system. Subcommittees came and went. So did staff officers. But JIC decisions always had to be consensus and were always reported to the Joint Chiefs. Little had been written about the inner workings of the JIOA, but the stories of individual Nazi scientists and the JIOA's trail of partially declassified papers helped define this powerful post-war organization. The Joint Intelligence Committee, Intelligence Report 250-4, warned the Joint Chiefs that 8 out of 10 leading German scientists in the field of guided missiles had recently gone missing from Germany and most likely been captured by the Soviets, and were now at work in the Soviet Union the it warned intensive Soviet scientific research program underway across Russia, all of which threaten the West. Yeah, this is true, but it's also some propaganda, right? They're gonna they're gonna feed in the fear porn here to to really get their point across that they need these Nazis and they need them now and they need to start working immediately. So the State Department officer assigned was Samuel Klaus, because Klaus was the man on the JIOA who was in charge of approving visas for all incoming German scientists, it was important that he be on board with what the JIOA wanted to accomplish. But this guy had some balls. Samuel Klaus was fundamentally opposed to the Nazi scientists program and created intense conflict within the JIOA. During the war, Klaus ran Operation Safe Haven, a program with international reach designed to capture Nazi assets, including stolen art and gold, being smuggled out of Germany for safekeeping in neutral countries. At a JIOA meeting in the late fall, Klaus vowed less than a dozen German scientists would ever be permitted into the U.S. on his watch. The first group of six Germans brought to Wright Airfield in the fall of 1945 lived in isolated and secure housing almost no one but the program's administrators knew that the german scientists were even there their salaries uh averaged about twelve thousand five hundred a year plus six dollars per diem and that's the equivalent of about a 175k you know 200k nowadays something like that but an oversight later caught and corrected the germans did not pay taxes for the first two years and 20 months of the program the six scientists and specialists and others who would soon follow carried military issue identification cards that had a large green S stamped on the front, indicating that they were not allowed to leave the base on their own. The German scientists' program was a highly classified military program and need needed to remain secret, for obvious reasons. That same month, the Nuremberg trial opened. In October 1945, Army Air Forces hosted a grand two-day-long fair at right Field. It was basically like a meet-and-greet, right? On display were captured German and Japanese aircraft and rockets seen by the public for the first time since the war's end. Over a half a million people from 26 countries came to marvel at the confiscated en- enemy equipment said to be worth $150 million. On display were V-2 rocket, the Folkwolf FW 190 G3 fighter aircraft and the Messerschmitt Me 262. The War Department did not like the idea of having to bring Nazi families to America. Army intelligence felt that the proposal had validity from an economic perspective. The State Department continued to voice objections, saying that regardless of who footed the bill, visas were not going to be granted to former enemies of the state without thorough and individual investigations. The Nazi scientist program was a temporary military program, State said, nothing more. Bullshit. Right? We all know there's nothing temporary about a military program. Even if it fails, they'll, they'll regroup and try it another way. Henry Wallace wrote directly to President Truman, requesting that the president support the German science program. Science would help create those 60 million jobs. Wallace said, and nothing had a higher national priority in peacetime than American jobs. The knowledge these men possessed, if added uh, to our own, would advance the frontiers of scientific knowledge for national benefit. And that's all we care about, guys, is U.S. of A, right? Henry Wallace had been staunchly anti-Nazi during the war, preceding Truman in the vice presidency, Wallace had publicly called Hitler a supreme devil operating through human form. In another famous speech, he likened Hitler to Satan seven times. That Henry Wallace was encouraging President Truman to endorse ger- German scientific in the name of economic prosperity gave Operation Overcast a future. So if he, since he supported it, he was an uh, avid anti-Nazi guy, but he says uh, we need to do this program so it's likely it's going to happen. And it's exactly what the J O I O A had been waiting for after dealing with this pain in the ass, Klaus. Meanwhile, in Germany, uh, Heidelberg Laboratory, dreamed up by Colonel Harry Armstrong and Malcolm Groh at a meeting in France in 1945, it would remain one of the best-kept secrets of paperclip for year, decades to come. Here, starting in September of 45. 58 doctors, hand-picked by none other than Dr. Strughold, had been working on medical research projects for the Third Reich. Some of the data the Nazis were using in their new army research had been attained in experiments in which test subjects had been murdered. We've seen that over and over. That's not surprising. The U.S. War Crimes Office Now, it's not surprising, but as we've also heard before, what was the other issue? They can't they don't have actual evidence. Although they know things happen, they don't have actual evidence to convict them in a court of law, which is a major obstacle that we'll see throughout this. The U.S. War Crimes Office for the Chief Counsel wrote up a list of doctors involved in medical research that resulted in mercy killings, which was a euphemism used by the Reich for its medical murder programs. The list was classified with strict caveat that access to it remain restricted for 80 years from the date of its creation this meant by the time that the world would know who was on the list it would be 2025 and everyone named would be dead so we gotta wait 3 more years, 2.5 more years and we can see that list which I would love to see 5 doctors working at the center starting in the fall of 1945 were on the list Theodore Benzinger Siegfried Ruff, Conrad Schaefer uh, Herman Becker Friesing and Oscar Schroeder instead of firing these physicians suspected of heinous war crimes the center kept the doctors and, uh, in its employment and list as classified the list remained secret to the public until 2012 when the DOD a- a- agreed to declassify it for Annie Jacobson's book By the end of January of 1946 160 Nazi scientists had secretly been brought to America. The largest group was uh, compromised by the 115 rocket specialists at Fort Bliss in Texas led by none other than the rock star Werner von Braun. Soon von Braun would begin writing a novel of his own in the science fiction about travel to Mars. In it Interestingly enough, he named the character Elon. Guys, you can't make this shit up. It's it, it's crazy. We live in a movie. Twelve to fifteen Germans were sent at a time to White Sands, where they lived in barracks alongside men from the General Electric Company and Technical Army Unit. The actual rocket firings took place inside a single 40-foot-deep pit with the German watching the launches from a bunker nearby. When the first V-2 was launched in April of 1946, it climbed three miles. Although one of its fins fell off, Braun felt inspired to draft a memo to Robert Oppenheimer, director of Los Alamos, proposing the idea of merging his missile with the atomic bomb. The memo turned into a proposal, Use of Atomic Warheads in Projected Missiles, submitted it to the Army. In it, von Braun discussed building a rocket that could carry a 2,000-plus pound nuclear payload the distance of 1,000 miles. Interesting note about von Braun that I found out reading this. Von Braun married his first cousin, Mary von Quistorp, the daughter of his mother's brother. Von Braun was nearly twice her age. She had just turned 18 in the summer of 46. And she lived in germany very weird stuff guys marian is first cousin and she's half his age nothing to see here no no issues there everything seems on the up and up so all right. Five hundred employees sorted, cataloged, and indexed, and put on microfiche some fifteen hundred tons of German documents captured by Alsos, the CIOs, and T forces after the war. So abundant was the material that more than one hundred thousand technical words had been added to the Air Material for Air, uh, air Material Commands English Language Dictionary. Hiring Albert Patton for the U.S. Army Air Force's contract meant ignoring his past. His armament factories used slave labor, which was a war crime. In an autobiographical report for Putt, Albert Patton admitted that many people in the 6,000-person workforce were slave laborers provided by Hama Kemmler's SS. Patton stated that he was not ashamed of this. He explained to Colonel Putt that he had been one of the better bosses in the Third Reich. (laughs) Unless... The migration of important German scientists and technicians into the Soviet zone is stopped, a joint chief's memo said. We believe the Soviet Union, within a relatively short time, may equal the United States' developments in the fields of atomic research and guided missiles and may be ahead of the U.S. developments in other fields of great military importance, including infrared, television, and jet propulsion. The JIC also stated incorrectly that German nuclear physicists were helping Russians develop the nuclear bomb, and that their assistance had already cut substantially, probably several years the time needed for the USSR to achieve practical results. This is all bullshit. It's all lies. It's fear porn. It's just so that they can get what they want. In reality, the Soviets had gotten to where they were in the atomic bomb development not because of any German rare mines, but by stealing the information from American scientists at Los Alamos. Not until 1949 would the CIA learn that a Russian mole was a British scientist named Carl Fuchs who worked on the Manhattan Project. It's kind of interesting because his name sounds like Carl Fucks. Carl Fucked Us. (laughs) Ironic, isn't it? They love wordplay. The first was to do everything possible in Germany to prevent more scientists from working for the Russians. The second was that the U.S. Army was to make sure that German scientists and their families were given whatever it was they were asking for, including American visas. Third, a list was drawn up proposing that as many as 1,000 additional Germans be brought to America for weapons-related research. With the new information about the Soviets, Robert Patterson, now Secretary of War, I keep getting him confused with the... uh, What's that douche from Twilight? Uh, Okay, so Robert Patterson, now Secretary of War, shifted from being weary of the Nazi science program to becoming its champion. And this is just what they needed. The War Department should do everything possible to clear away obstacles that may be raised in the State Department. The logic was simple. If we don't get them, the Russians will. And that was their rationale. Plain and simple. If we don't, the Russians are going to get them. And if the Russians get them, they're going to use them against us. German scientists could now be admitted into the United States in a classified program that was in the national interest. This shifted focus from whether or not someone was a Nazi to whether or not someone uh, they were someone the Russians would be interested in. So it's a total change. You know, they keep changing, moving the goalposts, as they would say. There were now 175 German scientists in America under military custody, none of whom had visas. Okay, You think the public knows about these 175? Nope. The consensus was that the application process needed to be sped up. The thorniest issue had to do with getting the State Department to approve certain individuals who had clearly been Nazi ideologues, including members of the SS and the SA. Also at issue were those who had received high awards for their important contributions to the Nazi Party, like Werner von Braun. These were people that, by regulations, were entirely ineligible for citizenship. Army intelligence officers, reviewing the Omgus report, uh, security reports of certain scientists, could discreetly attach paperclip to the files of them of the more troublesome files. Those files would not be presented to the State Department right away. Instead, those men would remain under military custody in America, most likely for a longer period of time than some of their fellows. As a result, the Nazi Scientist Program got a new codename. Operation Overcast had apparently been compromised after families of German scientists started calling their U.S. military housing camp Overcast. (laughs) So from now on, the Nazi scientist program would be called Operation Paperclip. So this is what it is, guys. This is where their grand plan to bring all these Nazi technicians over and feed our war machine, feed our medical industry, feed our bioweapons programs, feed our rocket industry. The first major setback came just a few months later in July 1946, Dr. Joseph McCarney wrote the JIOA stating that he identified 869 German scientists who were ready to sign paperwork contracts. Um, McNarney was following the US FET rules said that all members of the SS and the SA had to go through mandatory denazification trials. Known, known or alleged war criminals and no active Nazis would become no persons who might try to plan for a resurgence of German military potential. Soviet leaders believe that a conflict is inevitable between the USSR and the capitalist states and their duty is to prepare the Soviet Union for this conflict. Clifford warned that the Soviet leaders were on a path designed to lead to the eventual world domination. The Russians were uh, developing atomic weapons, guided missiles, a strategic air force, and biological and chemical weapons programs. The idea of a peaceful coexistence of communist and capitalist nations is impossible, Clifford wrote. The only way to counter this threat was to use the language of military power, not military force, But military threat. After four days of deliberation, Truman gave his official approval of the program and agreed that Operation Paperclip should be expanded to include 1,000 German scientists and technicians and allow for their eventual immigration to the United States. Operation Paperclip was transitioning from a temporary program to a long-term one. Former enemies of the state would now be eligible for coveted U.S. citizenship think about that guys not only are we going to allow these people to work for us we are going to give them citizenship war criminals just inhumane human beings the United States was to prepare for a total war with the Soviets. America had to maintain military supremacy in all areas of war fighting, including chemical warfare, biological warfare, and atomic warfare, and any other kind of warfare the other side dreamed up. And that's what this was. This was the arms race. One of the scientists of the JIOA a list of a 1,000 was Kurt Blom, was biological weapons maker. Blom had considerable progress with live plague pathogens, including bubonic and pneumonic plague. How far that research progressed remained vague, likely because it would put an unwanted spotlight on human experiments many believed to take place there. Blom repeatedly told investigators that he intended to conduct human trials, but never actually did. A research facility outside um, Washington, D.C. called Fort Dietrich. Okay. This is, oh man, this is this, and this could be one of the places that they possibly worked on COVID, the coronavirus. A top secret research facility outside Washington, D.C., called Camp Dietrich. Dietrich had 2,273 personnel working top secret biological warfare programs they worked on 199 other germ bomb projects including anthrax spore production plant and animal diseases and insert insect research in an effort to determine which bugs were most effective carriers of certain diseases carriers of diseases which bugs could carry diseases well this is what they're looking for America may have won the war with the mighty atomic bomb, but biological weapons were the poor man's nuclear weapon. Biological weapons could be made by just about any country without vast expenditures of money or construction of huge production facilities. So, the Merck Report was written by George W. Merck, a chemist and the owner of Merck and Company. Merck had served President Roosevelt and Harry Truman as civilian of the U.S. biological warfare during the war. Merck and company made and sold vaccines, notably first commercial U.S. smallpox vaccine in 1898, and in 1942 it manufactured penicillin G, among the first general antibiotics. During World War II. U.S. soldiers received smallpox vaccines. Congress would grant vast sums of money to the Chemical Corps for biological weapons research, and Dietrich would expand exponentially. In July of 1943, the High Command of the Wehrmacht called a secret conference in which it took part uh, in representatives of the High Command to take a different view ...as to whether or not they use bacteria as a weapon in warfare. um, Because consequently, the Fuhrer had charged Reich Marshal Hermann Goering to direct the carrying out of all preparations for biological warfare and had given him the necessary powers, according to Schreiber. So, in his statement, Schreiber was contradicting the generally accepted notion that Hitler never authorized his generals to use chemical biological weapons against Allied troops. In fact, no chemical or biological weapons were ever used in World War II, which made it strange that Schreiber had been brought all the way to Nuremberg to testify something that was ultimately irrelevant to a war crimes trial, right? If It doesn't matter if he gave the order that they could. If they didn't use him, it doesn't matter. Instead, they used him on prisoners and test subjects and shit like that. Schreiber said that a man, Dr. Ding, artificially infected KZ prisoners with typhus using typhus-infected lice, and that the talented surgeon Carl Gebhardt had carried out cranium operations on Russian prisoners of war and had killed the prisoners at certain intervals in order to observe the pathological changes, Schreiber testified. Defendant Goering had observed these experiments or had ordered these experiments and that Himmler had kindly made available the subjects for the experiments, right? Himmler's the people guy. He can move around these the, the slaves, the prisoners, the workers. In September of 1946, military of, uh, security officers with the Counterintelligence Corps arrived at the center with five arrest warrants in hand. Dr. Theodore Benzinger, uh, Conrad Schaefer, Siegfried Ruff, Oscar Schroeder, and Becker Friesang were wanted by the International Military Tribunal for war crimes. These men were arrested and taken to the prison complex at Nuremberg. Okay, And it's the same wing that Kurt Blom was already in. If any of this were to come to light that the U.S. Army had been employing war crime suspects and had them conducting military research at a facility inside Germany, especially prohibited by the Allied peace agreements, Harry Armstrong's institute would be shut down, Operation Paperclip would be exposed, and the U.S. Army would have an international scandal on its hands. On October 12, 1946, the Stars and Stripes newspaper, which operated inside the Pentagon, listed the individual names of the doctors' charge—a list that included five Luftwaffe doctors and that had been arrested at the U.S. Armed Air Force Aero Medical Center. Theodore Benzinger, again the same five guys—in a matter of weeks, these physicians had gone from being employed by the U.S. to being tried by U.S. military for war crimes. The ultimate judicial punishment was on the line. Each doctor faced a possible death sentence. In October of 1946, Benzinger was released from the Nuremberg prison without further explanation. He was returned to direct custody of the Army Air Forces, as stated in his declassified Nuremberg prison file. After spending a little over a month in Nuremberg jail, Benzinger was back in Heidelberg continuing his U.S. Army research work. There was no explanation as to why Benzinger was dropped from the list of defendants in the upcoming doctor's trial. He just was let go. Poof! Like that, he was gone. Nuremberg results came on October 1st. The judges took turns reading the verdicts. 19 convictions and 3 acquittals of the, fir- of the 22 accused major war criminals, and one being Martin Bormann in absentia. That same afternoon, the tribunal pronounced what sentence would be 12 death sentences, three life sentences, and four lengthy prison terms. Albert Speer, the only defendant who pled guilty, was sentenced to 20 years. The night before he was to be hanged, Hermann Goering swallowed a brass and glass vial of potassium cyanide that he had skillfully managed to keep hidden for 18 months. In his suicide note, okay, now, where do you think he kept this hidden? Here we go. In his suicide note, he explained how he managed to keep the vial hidden from guards by alternating it from its hiding place from his anus to his flabby navel. navel. So, guys, if you are ever going to prison, make sure you have a good anus and a flabby navel, and you can hide your potassium cyanide vials in there. Some Nazis were hanged. Others now had lucrative new jobs. Many, like the four German doctors from the Army Air Force Aeromedical Center at Heidelberg, now awaiting trial at Nuremberg. We're in the gray area in between. Okay, and that's where we are going to stop this one. That was a long one. And that's part one of two. In part two, what we will look at We will go into more depth at what did these scientists do in America and what was the impact it would have and why are we still facing the consequences of it today. And that's where we will leave this off. Again, guys, this is part of my uh, little government tyranny run that I'm on right now. And... It's just repeated over and over again. The United States government committing atrocities. And then just claiming, you know, they they're just deny it. And if they do expect it, they just expect you to just poo-poo it and say, Oh, it's okay. They were doing it for their benefit. No. No. As we start looking into it, you're going to see the U.S. did experiments on humans. The U.S. did disgusting things and it was a transition of these Nazis going from Germany simply just changing uniforms and now they are in the Americans hands and they are puppets they they are the Americans will let them do just about anything we'll see some crazy things come out post-World War II from this you know things like Plum Islands right We're Lyme disease came from and all sorts of other stuff and many other things we will get into on the next show. So with that said, guys, again, feel free. Hit me up on Instagram at the Great Deception Podcast. You can send me an email, the Great at Gmail. We have the Patreon, Patreon.com slash the Great Deception Podcast. We have YouTube, uh, the Great Deception Podcast on YouTube okay? You can go to Venmo, donate, make contributions there, guys. Any way you can contribute to the show, I appreciate it, whether it's liking, sharing, you know, an Instagram story, a post, something like that. Anything like that helps, guys. I really appreciate it. Everyone have a great day. Stay strong and question everything.
0: Why, why do you think that is? I mean, why is that? I mean, is it just because people are, are lazy today or they're bored? I mean, are we just like bored, spoiled children who've just been lying in the bathtub all day, just playing with their plastic duck, and now they're just thinking, well, what can I do? Okay, yes, we are bored. We're all bored now. see i keep meeting these people i mean uh, just a few days ago i met this man whom i greatly admire he's a swedish physicist gustav bjornstrand and he told me that he no longer watches television he doesn't read newspapers and he doesn't read magazines he's completely cut them out of his life because he really does feel that we're living in some kind of orwellian nightmare now and that everything that you hear now contributes to turning you into a robot when i met him at Findhorn, he said to me Where are you from? And I said, New York. He said, ah, New York, yes, that's a very interesting place. Do you know a lot of New Yorkers who keep talking about the fact that they want to leave but never do? And I said, oh, yes. And he said, why do you think they don't leave? And then he went into his pocket and he took out a seed for a tree and he said, this is a pine tree. He put it in my hand and he said, escape before it's too late. Of course, the problem is where to go, because it seems quite obvious that the whole world is going in the same direction. This is the beginning of the rest of the future now, that from now on there'll simply be all these robots walking around, feeling nothing, thinking nothing. And there'll be Nobody left almost to remind them that there once was a species called a human being, with feelings and thoughts, and that history and memory are right now being erased, and soon nobody will really remember that life existed on the planet.